All right. Well, last week we did not finish 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we will finish it this week. But just 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <laughs> I was looking over it and I was like, you know, I get a little bit of freedom if I don't have to do a whole chapter in a whole week. Because there's a lot of different things that can happen in a chapter. And a lot of things happen in this chapter. We talked a lot last week about comfort and how God uses every circumstance that happens to us to empower us, to draw us closer to him, to give us the ability and the language and the, the, the fortitude of the Holy Spirit to comfort others in their distress. And Paul is still talking about that, but he changes a little bit as he goes into verse eight. And he says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So I'm not going to get too detailed here, but. As I start to have adult sons, I start to have conversations with them about things that happened when they were four or five. And it's fun to watch them and their faces realize that the way they perceived it when they were four was very different than what was happening and what was going on. And I'm really thankful for that because I was protecting them from that. But in the same way, now that they're 20 or 22, I want them to know here is what was going on. And it's fun. Um, some of these kinds of conversations are like, yeah, I know. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I, I figured that. I figured that. I'm like, how did you figure that? You were six. And uh, one of them was like, well, I didn't figure it out when I was six. But thinking it over when I was 14 I realized when I was six, this was happening, not this was happening. And it was just kind of, this is kind of what Paul is having this conversation about. You know, he loves the Corinthian church. He spent like a year and a half in Corinth with them. He, he wants to go back there and he wants to be with them. And he's written, he's already written them other letters. And he's like, I want you guys to know. Well, I don't really want you to know. Well, you guys got to know. Well, yeah. So he wants them to know what he's been through. But he doesn't want them to know what he's been through for the sake of making them feel bad. He doesn't want them to make them so they know what he's been through for the sake of them having pity on him. It's just a matter of in this in this particular spot. He's like, you guys. I have been through terrible things just like you have. I have experienced this terrible suffering that you're suffering right now. I have suffered this. And so he lets them in on a little bit of it without giving the gory details. But just look at how he explains it. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. Then he goes on and he says, verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again 
He's saying that in reference to the end of nine. So we would not rely on ourselves, but we would rely on God who raises the dead. They despaired so much that they were at a point where they thought, well, if God is going to do anything with this, maybe he will do it after he raises us from the dead. They were so convinced that they were going to die. That it was a it was a a Lord in this moment, if you're going to make anything good out of the situation. I know I, I trust you to do it, even if it's going to be by raising me from the dead after I go through this. Wow, that's the level of despair and hopelessness. They were at a point where they didn't even hope that they would be saved, but they were hoping, well, maybe we'll get raised from the dead. Wow. On, he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. So look at that. Paul can look back and he can say, I got delivered from all kinds of angry mobs. I was stoned to death and thrown off a cliff. A lot of the times the way they would stone people is they'd throw them down a hill and then they'd throw the rocks down the hill on top of them because just gory physics for a minute. If I throw a rock at you and I hit you, that takes a whole lot of aim and a whole lot of strength, right? If I'm not very strong and I can be on the side of a cliff and I can drop a rock on your head, it doesn't take as much aim and it doesn't take as much strength. There you go. The practicality of stoning people to death. So a lot of people think, historians think that that's what happened to Paul when he was, when he was, they dragged him out of town, they threw him, threw him down a hill, maybe not necessarily off a cliff, but they throw you down a hill. And then they throw rocks down the hill. God save me from that. He will deliver us. We have the hope that he will deliver us again. Whatever we do. If our sincere and sole hope. Isn't in Jesus doing something. In God doing something then what are we doing? Like, like what, what are we spending our time on? <laughs> what non-eternal things are we thinking about? And that's not to say we can't ever play a board game. That's not to say we can't ever watch a movie. I'm just saying in the things that we do with our life and the things that motivate us and the things that we really want to accomplish, let's make those eternal things. Let's make those things that we can say, God, what do you want me to do? And not say, well, that sounds dangerous. Or that sounds like a waste of money. Or that sounds, I'll look like such an idiot if I do that. Or I won't fit in if I do that. Here's Paul. And his only hope is that Jesus is going to intervene and do something. Well, the other flip of that is, what if I don't even know about anything that I need Jesus to intervene on? How disconnected from my community and my world and my other people am I? Because you don't have to go far. You don't have to have very many conversations in the grocery aisle. You don't have to have many conversations with the random person at the library to find there's people all around us that are desperate for Jesus to intervene in their lives and do something. And even if all, all of our participation in that is, I'm going to pray for you right now. 
Jesus intervened in this person's situation. That right there, we just opened the kingdom. We just brought the kingdom of heaven to ruler. When you say, Jesus, intervene, please intervene in this person. So we're going to jump around a little bit. So this idea of uh, there's, a, there's a big deal right now going on with people and they want to find purpose and meaning in their lives. And there will be a billboard. It just it, this stuff cracks me up. It shouldn't crack me up. It should make me sad, but it cracks me up um, when there will be a billboard and it'll be like find meaning and purpose. But they don't say it like that. They say it a little bit more subtle. Uh, you know, bring good into the world. Work for Kaiser Aluminum. <laughs> and I just think of like all these humanitarian efforts and all of the, you know, feeding starving people and, and all of these things. And I'm like, work and make aluminum cans. And I don't want to downplay that because if we are doing what the Lord leads us to do, we might find ourselves making web pages to attract veterans to hire lawyers. And if that's not worthless, more worthless than making aluminum cans, I don't know what is. Just at the face value, right? So face value, our work can be meaningless. On a deep value, on a deep, what is God calling me to? What is my purpose as a person right here in Evansville, what am I called to do? If I'm called to make web pages for veterans to find lawyers and I do it, then I'm fulfilling God's call on my life. If my calling is to do some completely different thing and instead I opt to make web pages for veterans to find lawyers, I'm working in futility and fruitlessness. Now, it's not to say God's not with me. I used to have a buddy and he would always be so afraid. Every decision he had, he said, I don't want to miss God. If I make the wrong choice, God's going to go this way and I'm going to go that way. No, 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 no. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Lord's with you wherever. And the Lord was with Jonah when he went. The Lord was with Adam and Eve. They got kicked out of the garden. So, Genesis Chapter two, the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from the day you eat of it. You'll surely die. God gave Adam a calling and a job the moment he was created. And he put him into his calling and into his work that he was supposed to do. He wasn't just, you know, sit around and do nothing. He gave Adam a purpose. He gave Adam a thing to do that was, that was desired, that God desired him to do. Then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Just to comment, Adam already had a work and a job to do before woman was even created. Wow. He had he he was given, he was designed, he was built with work to do and a purpose. So the curse of rebellion ends that. And it messes it up. And listen to the specific words of the curse. This is in Genesis 3. 
Because you have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. You'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You'll eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken and you were destined to dust you will return. The work and purpose that we were given got mangled by sin. And so now people are designed to seek after a purpose and to do things. And it's ultimately to do what God wants and to do God's will and and to act and participate with God. But because of the fall, we try to get it out of the dirt. We try to get it out of pricker bushes and we try to we're we're trying to find it the wrong way. Verse three, uh, chapter three, verse 22. The Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take hold also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword, turned every way to guard the way back to the tree of life. There's no way back to the tree of life. It is guarded by a cherubim, which is a special kind of angel. And that all gets really complicated. And that separation is made. And the whole Old Testament is people trying to struggle and deal with that separation. Because God is still with them. God is still dwelling and he sends the the law. He gives Moses the law, he gives the sacrifices. And God is trying to help mankind live in this broken, fallen state. But then Christ comes and God enters into this broken state and he lives and he shows us what it looks like to live with that, that big old section of you that's made for God's purpose and for God's work to be filled by God. And Jesus shows us what that looks like and he lives it. And of course, in a fallen world, it brings judgment and destruction upon him. And he dies for our sins and he raises from the dead because that wins, that wins out over rebellion. And he sends his Holy Spirit. And so the whole New Testament, if the Old Testament was... Here's just a a history of people trying to live where God's trying to reach them and they're in the fallen world. The New Testament is God has caught them. And now that God is with them and has sent his Holy Spirit, we're going to watch and see how to live now. We're going to talk more about this in a minute, but I want all that. I want all that rattling around in your brain. So the next verse In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. When we pray for one another, we participate in the work of the God of heaven working in other people's lives. So I can't change. I can't change my neighbor. My neighbor acts the way that I want my neighbor to act. I could guilt him, I could shame him, I could bribe him, I could give him presents, I could praise him. I am not going to be able to change him inside. 
because I didn't make him. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, rising from the dead, sending his Holy Spirit into me, I am in direct communication with the holy God that made my neighbor. And so I can pray for my neighbor and I can tell God, God, this is what's going on with him. Do this. And as I pray, God communicates back to me, dude, you have so you your priorities are so messed up. Like you think you think it's this car that's a piece of junk that's always sitting out in front of his house. I don't even care about that piece of car, that piece of junk car. I'm working in his heart and soul with this thing and that thing. And the Lord can sometimes even reveal that to you and you can participate in that. You know what? I'm not even going to worry about the junk car in the front yard. I'm going to worry about this guy having joy and confidence and peace. As we pray for each other, God works and God builds our faith so that God gets the credit when we pray that, that, uh, that this person would be healed overnight, that this person would wake up tomorrow and be healed and they wake up the next day and, and they're healed, our faith builds. And then we get to tell other people, I heard she was sick. I prayed she would wake up better. And she did. God did that. It builds other people's faith too. Verse 12, our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. This is the thing that we're the most proud of. We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. That you would know, we would know one another, that we cared for one another in the most non-manipulative, non-trickery, non-secret motive way but that we really cared for one another out of Christ's care for us. We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. We really, really cared about each other, not just to get something. He says, we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. He's saying, I'm not writing new stuff to you. I'm just reinforcing everything I've already written to you. Everything I taught you for a year and a half while I was there. Just as you partially understand us that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. You know, there's a lot of ideas about what the end of the world will look like, what the rapture will look like. There's all the jokes about standing in front of St. Peter with your suitcase full of gold and he wants to know why you brought all that pavement to heaven with you and all that. Paul gives us a, a real, real, real actual true look at what it's going to be like on the day of the Lord. And isn't it exciting? The day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast as us, boast of us as we will boast of you. What if, what if we're all walking up to the gate and there's St. Peter and we're like, dude, Jim Carnahan, Pete, did you, have you met Jim Carnahan? What if we're boasting about each other? What if we're boasting about our enemies? Whoa, Pete, this guy did me wrong and it was bad, but you know, he knows that Jesus died for that. And your the, the Holy Spirit that's in you, Pete, that's in me, worked in me to forgive him 
I'm so glad he's here. What if we boast in the enemies that we've forgiven? Because Jesus died for their sins just like they died for ours. Just like Jesus died for our sins. People talk about getting crowns. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to have all these crowns. And that's, that is this very vague mention in the book of Revelation about everybody having the apostles having crowns and people putting their crowns down and, and all that. This is not vague. This is not an apocalyptic vision. This is not, you know, there's no beasts. There's no eyes covered front and back. This is just a plain old thing. Hey, on the day of our Lord, we're going to boast in one another. We, we are going to boast in your faith and you're going to boast in ours. Wow. So Paul talks about both. Remember how sleazy the Corinthians were? Remember how, I mean, like it's called rich Corinthian leather for a reason. Like they are dirt bags. And Paul is excited to boast in them before Jesus. I am excited to boast in your faith before the Lord Jesus when he comes. Because I was sure of this. Okay, so Paul's not saying, I really hope I get to boast in you guys and how good you did. Don't let me down here. No, verse 15. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so you would have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and I wanted to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. He wants to be with them so much. These people have done all kinds of terrible things. Remember 1 Corinthians, they were saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Jesus. They're all separating. They were all getting total trashed drunk before they came to the Lord's Supper meal. And instead of passing the cup, they're shotgunning the whole thing down so they can get drunk off of that. Gosh. And Paul says, I can't wait to boast about your faith before Jesus. I cannot wait to come and visit you on my way to Macedonia and to see you guys and just to give you more grace and to just be around you to build up your faith and have you build up my faith. And then even after I go through Macedonia, I want to come back there and I want you guys to be a part of me going back to Judea. I want, I just really want to be a part of your life and I want you to be a part of mine. Wow. This next section is cool. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh? Ray said yes, yes, and no, and no at the same time. He's saying, am I, am I not rooted on anything? Am I just kind of making decisions on a whim? Oh, yeah, let's do that. Oh, no, let's do that. Oh, you know, just chasing after whatever shiny thing. As surely God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed, we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What he is saying right here is that when we follow Christ, we can follow Christ with confidence that we can trust him. 
Not necessarily we can trust our plans because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a little skeptical when people say, the Lord told me to go do this. That's awesome. You don't know what the result is. You should be obedient when you feel like God is leading you to do something, but don't be confident that you know what the result is going to be. I mean, here's Paul. He thought the result was going to be, I'm going to get killed, and if God's going to do anything, it's going to be through my resurrection. But everything that God promised in the whole Old Testament when he's reaching out to fallen mankind that's trying to live without God, with no purpose, with no provision, everything that God promised was answered in Jesus. Every need that the Old Testament showed, every need that the prophets, when the prophets talk about you quit, Isaiah talks about quit bringing me sacrifices. You fast in vain. What was the problem there? Jesus solved that problem. The, the insincerity of their rock hard hearts. Jesus solved that problem. When, you know, Joshua or uh, Jacob is tricking Laban and he's scheming and he's conniving and he's doing these tricks and he's like, I'm going to take all the sheep that have spots and I'm going to have all them and we're going to do this little trick and that little trick to get provided for. Jesus says, I will give you everything you need. Ask for today your daily bread. I'll provide for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Birds worry about tomorrow. Pagans worry about tomorrow. I'll give you everything. Or actually, birds don't worry about tomorrow. They get everything they need too. Jesus is the yes to every need to every problem that God has shown us that we need, every problem that we have. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All right, there's two different conversations going on here. One is all these people come behind Paul and they say, Paul's a dirtbag. He doesn't know nothing. He's not a real apostle. He wasn't with the 12. You shouldn't listen to anything he says. He's not for real. I mean, for heaven's sakes, the dude studied under Gamaliel and he held coats when they killed Stephen. Don't believe that guy. Believe us. You should get circumcised. You should... Follow this Mosaic law. You should do this. So he's saying, God has established us and he has established you. The other thing that he is saying is that you are established. You are set. You are sealed. He has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So Paul's not saying he's done this to me and Sylvanus and Timothy and not you. He's saying we are God's body. We are the body of Christ. God has established us. He has anointed us. And he has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is just great language that he's using. This guarantee is what it's, I mean, it's a deposit. It's, 
when somebody would buy something that was way too expensive that you would never carry this much money around, you would give a little bit of money and say, I'm going to come back. I'm, I'm going to buy this. Um, now, now this happens on Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to buy this kayak and it's 300 bucks. But I'm just texting you and I don't know if you're, I want you to know that I'm coming to get it. And so you push the little button on Facebook to pay 50 bucks and you just zing this total stranger 50 bucks. And now 50 bucks is gone from you and they have it. And that's the trust. And they're not going to sell it to anybody else because this dude just gave me 50 bucks. And then you show up and they're real and they're a real person and you give them $250 for your $300 thing because you gave them a deposit. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a promise, as a yes, I am doing this. This is real and I am redeeming you and you are redeemed. You are holy. I am coming back for you. There's a whole bunch of good stuff in Ephesians. Now, it, it, Paul spent three years in Ephesus. He spent a year and a half in Corinth. He probably talked about this stuff in Corinth. He doesn't bring it up in this section, but what he brings up in the book to the Ephesians also gives light on this. In Ephesians 1, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have a guarantee of our inheritance until we grab it, until we get the fullness of it. And that guarantee is the Holy Spirit that you got when you believed. Ephesians 4.30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit but he doesn't say you're going to get rid of the Holy Spirit. Don't accidentally lose the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. So you can actually have the Holy Spirit because you believed. And then do terrible, wicked, horrible things. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. But praise God, it doesn't leave. Whoa. How wild is that? This is where we start to get into uh, the history of salvation. We won't go there, but I'll just give you the one that is really cool. We were talking about this week when Noah and his family and all the animals got into the ark. God didn't say, now work really hard to make sure that door is closed. Now you work really hard to seal that ark so no water gets in. It says God sealed them in the ark. God sealed Noah. God rescued Noah. I think Noah could have been the drunkenest, stupidest, worst architect builder of all time. And it didn't matter, right? Exactly. God sealed him in. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Does that mean I'm going to do whatever I want? 
Does that mean I'm going to just go sin and be licentious? No, because I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want the fullness. I want to, I want the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit to be in my life. I want to know what's going on. I want to grow. So then at the end here, Paul says, I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. <laughs> All that bad stuff that was going on in Corinth. It was better for him to send a letter than to show up. Because Paul is a human too. He's not going to do everything right and perfect all the time. And he was like, you know what? That was just, that might have been too much for me. I might have lost it. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. I don't want you to think I'm lording over you. I'm the tough guy and uh, I'm the dad and don't make me come down there. I'm not any more powerful than you are. I'm not a super overlord. You're part of the body of Christ. I need you just like you need me. I'm not going to lord it over your faith. But we're going to work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. So back to my, you know, you can't change your neighbor. You can't change who they are. Funny thing, I even have trouble changing myself. But if we are all in this together, there's not, there's, there's not uh, fathers and children and mothers and daughters. We're all brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are all helping each other along. Here's the Apostle Paul. I mean, rock star of the faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And he is saying to the Corinthians... I can't wait to be with you so that I can boast in your faith and you can boast in mine when Jesus shows up. I can't wait to be with you so that you can strengthen my faith by the way the Holy Spirit is showing off in your life and I can strengthen your faith by the way the Holy Spirit is showing off in my life. If anybody was going to lord it over anybody and be like, <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I need your attention right here. It would have been him. And he didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't talk that way. And so this whole, this whole big old section, right? We do. We need the Lord. We've got this big old section in our soul that needs Jesus. We sung that song, I need Jesus into my heart. You know, we just don't, we don't have a way to convey, I need Jesus in my life. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. And now that he's here, he's sealed in me. I want to do all I can to be led by him. Let him meet my needs. Let him provide for me. And as I do that, and as I help the Lord do that in you, right? As we all do that for each other, we all grow. And we all show him off to the world. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. That when you saved us, you didn't just make us go and disappear and go straight to heaven. But that you put us here to be empowered by you to build up one another, to build up your church, to help one another stand firm in our faith. And I pray that you would do that in us this week, Lord. Give us ways, give us conversations, give us opportunities. Give us the overflow and the fullness of your Holy Spirit that we could build one another up in love, 
that we could build up your church wherever she is weak and show off your glory. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.